0: Thank you so much to our sponsors, Yellow Racket Records, a place for music lovers to discover, hear, and buy new and pre-loved records. Great staff, great coffee, comfy chairs. YellowRacketCHA.com and RC2 Realty Solutions Real Estate Investments. Robin ring got a brand new thing. Call 531-1722.
1: Only in Jeff Styles, America. Nugger Radio being Friday and being what time is it exactly 908 908 m. 43 Eastern time it is 4 more hour it's 4 more, more hour thank you very much for tuning in where we dig deeper into various topics dealing with outdoor activities sports athletics hobbies the outdoor life getting up off the couch pretty much in general and all the opportunities you have around here news that is made in that neck of the woods at the end of the hour today i'll be talking to my friend randy horton who is the head of wild trails and really spearheaded the rise in popularity of trail running around here and i'm going to get him to comment on that horrible scenario in china with the ultra marathon uh that took so many lives so many lives and just situational awareness in the outdoors, uh, even in or at organized events. How you, could you, they
0: have known that? They couldn't uh, have known that.
1: Given where they were, I think it would be very difficult. It sounds like it would be like Mount Katahdin in Maine or mm-hmm. Mount Washington, where the weather can shift so dramatically, so quickly. Right. But still, I mean, you've got to be able to look out after yourself. But we have our guest for the next uh, couple of segments here on the line with us. And it is Morgan Smith, Assistant Professor Morgan Smith at UTC. He uh, teaches anthropology, social, cultural, and justice studies, and uh, is an archaeologist as well, and talking about marine archaeology. Uh, and he is the one that was with the group of students, and they found, they believe, possibly to be the USS Chattanooga right off the uh, the banks of the Tennessee River down at Ross's Landing. And uh, Dr. Smith, very glad to have you on with us.
2: Hi, great to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Now, you are currently, as I understand it, you're actually doing your summertime thing and you're actually doing, well, dig, digs underwater right now, somewhere in the Gulf of Mexico.
2: That's correct. We're um, working with, uh, we have funding from the National Science Foundation and the Florida Division of Historical Resources to um, identify uh, Native American archaeological sites uh, that were inundated at, uh, by sea level rise at the end of the last ice age and, and after. Um, and we're working to identify those um, and assess any impact done by the recent Hurricane Michael um, storm that came oh, through. Oh, that was
1: that was that was a rough one, as we all remember. Uh, with sure all the, all all the storms that came through, that was one of the one of the worst, um, you know, and the most powerful. Now, wh- where are you currently, yeah. if, if I may ask? What 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 spot of the Gulf are you on?
2: Uh, we are in Apalachee Bay, which is about oh, wow. uh, thirty thirty minutes south of Tallahassee,
1: Florida. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful area down there. There's no doubt about it, yeah, and it great. it is certainly yeah. I mean, and and just history everywhere you you look. I mean that was, that area has been populated as long as there's been humanoids uh, standing upright on the North American continent.
2: Uh, yeah, that's right. So the early one of the earliest radiocarbon dated archaeological sites in our hemisphere, um, which is one of the earliest secure sites that were been confirmed and accepted by scholars, is about. 15, 20 miles away from where we're standing. That's the Page Ladsden site, which is also underwater. And it dates to about 14,500 years ago.
1: Wow. And so I just, it, it amazes me. Um, see, can I say just Morgan, would that, is that okay? Yeah, um,
0: I, was yeah, ask, yeah absolutely. I was asking okay. the same question. How it, do we address it, you? Uh, Morgan, fine. <laughs>
1: it's, you know, we, we talk about our Native American history around here, but we only really take it back to really the Trail of Tears, the Frontier Days, uh, the Trail of Tears gets a lot of attention. Some of the early Native American clashes, creeks, and Cherokee. But that we don't go any further back. And people were here so much longer ago than that. And we know for a fact, I mean, the trail from St. Augustine that goes all the way through Chattanooga, right down at Chattanooga Nature Center, Reflection Riding, makes its way all the way up to where they have Bonnaroo around Manchester. And that was an early trading trail that goes back way beyond any of the, the Cherokee folks. And I just don't understand why we don't do more with that, why we don't teach more of that around here.
2: Yeah, well, that's, that's kind of my bread and butter and my specialty. And, um, you know, there's definitely a, a lot of attention um, oriented towards um, more recent uh, Cherokee history, which, you know, is rightly so, because it is a um, a, a major point in American history sure. and, a, and a very important point for the Cherokee. But, yeah, I, I agree with you that it's um, these early stories about uh, some of the First peoples to come into the continent are really compelling, and uh, and yeah, there are uh, many sites around Chattanooga, um, uh, that date back to the last ice age, uh, if not earlier, so 12, 13, perhaps even 14,000 years ago, uh, right in Hamilton County.
1: Yeah, I live in Sequatchie County, right up on top of the big bluff that overlooks Dunlap, and I find Apparently. what and what to the you know, we we all call everybody around there, calls them smoke houses the natural cave formations is where you had slabs of rock that you know, gave you a roof and two walls, and naturally went back. Yeah. And, and it's amazing the artifacts you can find because even after they've been combed over for generations by huckleberry fins like me, you know, uh, they, they, you <laughs> know, from fourteen to you know eighty four, who just find things interesting, pick up arrowheads when they see them, and the caves are still littered with them. I mean, it's it's amazing. That, talk about the actual find. What, yeah, what, what was you? the day like? Yeah, what what were you, what were y'all doing? Were you looking for the for for the boat? Um, So, yeah,
2: basically what happened was I was teaching an underwater archaeology class. So my um, study of my concentration is underwater landscapes and underwater archaeology and and using um, what we call geophysical instruments to identify underwater sites. So these are instruments that, um, you know, the the Tennessee River is pretty murky and and dark, and it's, it's not very clear. It's hard to see down into it. So these instruments. Be for us uh, by using sonar. So they emit sound waves, and they um, use the, the time and intensity that those sound waves return back to the instrument to create a, a high-resolution picture of what's underwater. Um, and essentially, what I was doing was this was um, a kind of active part of the class where you know we're in the in the middle of the, the pandemic last semester, and so it was kind of it was tough to to, you know, have a normal class and, and teach students, and I really wanted to give them the opportunity to have some hands-on learning despite all of the um, despite all the difficulties. So I set this day up where they would learn how to use what's called side-scan sonar um, just right out there on the riverfront in the, um, on the Tennessee River. And this instrument is, is really important for students to be able to learn how to use because um, there's basically a federal law that states any time any development is being done. Um, A series of surveys have to be done, including a cultural resource survey. You make sure
1: they're not digging um, up the resources that belong to all of us, yes.
2: Exactly, yeah. So, um, And, yeah, there's a lot of development going on on the continental shelf. There's a lot of offshore oil and gas, as well as a lot of offshore renewables. Um, And these companies want to make sure that they're not adversely impacting either shipwrecks or Native American resources that are out there. Um, and so they're looking for students who have um, proficiency in, in these kinds of uh, tools. And that was basically the point of, of this exercise was to give students um, at least at a very fundamental level experience with this. Sure. And um, basically we had you know I had heard this kind of local war about um, about the riverfront and about a series of shipwrecks that were there, and some you know, local fishermen and divers had been mentioning that. Um, there was this wreck, the Chattanooga, um, that was uh, that's potentially in that area, but um, the state of Tennessee, um, which maintains the archaeological site file, had no record of it. Um, and I couldn't really find any a whole lot of information about it. I couldn't find like, a, a, any imagery of the area, so it was unclear to me whether or not um, the Chattanooga was actually in that area. So that's kind of what we went to investigate.
1: And found it. Apparently,
2: we think so. Yeah, I think um, basically that that image that has um, kind of been floating around in a series of news stories, which is the side scan sonar. Yes. Image. Um, yeah, we. That was our intent. Was instead of just kind of saying, "Ah, we think this is it," was to map it, um, and and with that high resolution map, we can actually measure it in the lab. Um, you know, on digitally on a computer screen, we can measure the dimensions of each timber um, and the framing, and we can get an idea of um, how the hull was constructed um, and the various kind of ship
1: construction methods and other parts there. I'll jump in real quick and just say we got about three minutes before a break, and I want to bring you back after okay. that. Hopefully, you can stick around. But the Chattanooga sure. was uh, commissioned late in the Civil War. It was going to be used, I guess, off the coast like most warships were. But, I mean, at that point, the Union was pretty much on top. And from what I understand, it was a a screw-driven ship, right?
2: Well, actually, this is, um, so that's the USS Chattanooga, which is a screw frigate. This is. This was actually never a commissioned naval vessel. Okay, all right. It's colloquially, yeah, it's colloquially referred to as the USS Chattanooga. Okay. Kind of like the way the Hunley is referred to as the CSS Hunley. Yes. Um, so Though it's, ne- it's not. It's ac- not. That was never actually a commissioned Confederate. All right. Either,
1: that so. that, 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 is, that explains that because I I was actually going to go into the technology of the screw prop, but uh, which is not necessary now. I I I did I I had a loose idea that we would might be talking about two different vessels kind of i know when i first brought it up with a friend of mine who is kind of a civil war geek and he said well the chattanooga sunk up in philadelphia and uh, yes. and that's where the, <laughs> so the second boat you know came in and so i, I now i understand we were, we're talking about the same thing but just real quick it was the literally the framework itself the timbers the way that they were laid out that matched you know what would have been used so i mean how many boats are out there that are that fit those specs it shouldn't be that many, I wouldn't think.
2: Exactly. That's kind of the the way that we're going about understanding this: is looking at all of the data that we have for shipwrecks in that area, because there are several, and comparing them against the historical records to see whether or not one matches up well with the other. All
1: right. Well, and now, if anybody wants more information about this particular find, now there's been plenty of media you know coverage of it. But is there one place that you have, do you have like a Facebook page or have you dedicated a little blog to it anywhere?
2: Um, There is a a Facebook page for our department, the the social, cultural, and justice studies department at UTC, where we routinely kind of post updates on things. So if they're interested on that, they can um, come to to that Facebook page for kind of the most recent information.
1: Okay. And I, I have to ask you this before we go to the break. I I have mentioned this multiple times. People probably get tired of me repeating myself. I've been doing this for 30 years. Uh, But, you know, one of the greatest lectures I ever saw, and I do enjoy a good lecture series. Uh, I I love talking to people who actually know what they're talking about, especially when they're entertaining. One of the best ones I ever saw was Robert Ballard. Um, And he's got to be, I mean, an idol of yours, I would think.
2: Yes, he's definitely an an icon in underwater archaeology and in uh, in using sonar to identify archaeological sites. Yeah, very much so.
1: Yeah, just uh, a remarkable remarkable. person
2: with a a storied career.
1: If I had even really known that... Underwater archaeology, pretty much. I mean, I've been ar- I've been I've been around long enough to to uh, to have been here pretty much as long as scuba has been a thing. So Jacques Cousteau yeah. is all I had. <laughs> I had I had you know the undersea world of of uh, whatever what was yeah yeah sea hunt. <laughs> I had I had I had sea hunt with Lloyd Bridges and I had Jacques Lloyd Cousteau. If, if I'd known this was a career choice, I might have gone there. You know, I, I really right? might gone there myself. That's- uh, well, It is a career choice. Yeah, yeah. exactly. My my my, my my relationship with with uh, with scuba was GI Joe, the underwater GI Joe that had the <laughs> flipper <laughs> motion. You know, that was all I had. Uh, Wanted mo- to be a frogman. Huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly, a frogman. Exactly. They were Johnny Quest too. They were in Johnny Quest. Yeah, Frogmen yeah. were. Assistant Professor Morgan Smith with us. We'll be back with him in just a second. It's Explore More, More the Explore More Hour here at Nuga Radio. We do it every Friday from nine to ten, and we focus in on the outdoor activities. That we like to talk about, brag about, and do, and are indigenous to our area and people who visit and just interesting things. And again, really what it's about is getting you up off the couch. So we don't exclude stick and ball sports or anything else. Uh, just if you're, if it's getting you up and out and around and, and keeping you from just being a big tub of lard, we're for it. All right. That's, that's what we're all about. New radio, com 92.7 on the FM band. And, Since he is on the hotline right now, I can give you the number. You can jot it down. Use it later, 710-9927. We'll continue our conversation with Morgan Smith. Only in Jeff Styles, America.
3: Everybody get up!
1: Let's let the Marvin Gaye estate say that these guys ripped off Marvin Gaye's song. I don't think they'll be able to do it. The bluegrass version of Robin Thicke's Blurred Lines.
3: This is much better.
1: I couldn't remember what he got in trouble for, and it was plagiarism. Um, Marvin ripped off a Marvin Gaye rhythm, and uh, all he had to do was say, we're doing it. And paying homage, they said, "Oh, okay." Instead, they cheated, and he ended up having to pay a huge penalty for it seven point two million dollars. Yeah. you haven't seen anything back from him since either. Yeah. Um, Assistant Professor Morgan Smith on the line with us. He is currently down, right off the coast of Florida, working in the Gulf of Mexico, anthropology, and also social, cultural, and justice studies. But does um, um, aquatic, underwater archaeology? During the summertime, and that's where he is right now. But he's the guy, along with some students, who we believe found the Chattanooga. And the Chattanooga, the one that we're talking about off the coast of, of the coast, the, the shore of Ross's Landing down there, was actually being used as a steamship, being used to supply, and this is, as I understand it, the Union troops as they gathered their forces for the march to the sea. Is that the historical perspective? That am I Am I in the right ballpark?
2: Yeah, you're in the you're in the right ballpark there. So basically, you know, the the Union is pulled up in Chattanooga Tracked. following yeah. their loss at uh, Chickamauga.
1: After siege, uh, yeah.
2: and yeah, and they're essentially siege. Um, and in order to um, you know break that that siege and, and resupply Grant's army, which was essentially starving um, in Chattanooga, they devised this series. There was actually several of these steamships that were kind of hastily cobbled together in nearby Bridgeport, Alabama. Um, and they were basically Frankenstein ships, you know, old sure. flat bottom scows that they basically slapped, um, some boilers and a, and a paddle wheel on, um, and turned them into supply barges. And they, uh, the Chattanooga was the flagship of this so-called cracker line, which was yes. the supply line running into Chattanooga. Um, and so they snuck the Chattanooga up the Tennessee river at night. Um, in 1863 and it successfully resupplied Grant's army there and opened this line that allowed the union to to push further south and precipitate the end of the
1: war. And the cracker line, let's go ahead and, and do this quick history lesson for everybody. It just like the trail of tears, it wasn't just one trail and it wasn't just one line. It was anything that got supplies into Chattanooga. And I think that that's another forgotten piece of history is just how miserable The conditions must have been in here. I mean, what, they had to endure in Stalingrad in World War II. They had to endure in Chattanooga for a period of time. There were no rats left alive, put it to you that way. Uh, And and the Tennessee River certainly was navigable, but that didn't mean it was easily navigable. I mean, coming upstream against the shoals that were the pot, the pan, and the skillet, and the big whirlpool known as the suck, that was not an easy trip. That's a dangerous ride out there.
2: No, not at all. And and they actually, um, if you one of the, one of the really neat uh, resources for this uh, little steamship is actually the U.S. Army Quartermasters Foundation has a a, a write up and a, a couple of journal excerpts from the captain of the um, of the Chattanooga, and they talk about how they basically drove it up at night in a driving rainstorm, and a hogging chain broke on the steamship, which is essentially a chain that keeps the the steamship from essentially tearing itself apart. Um, So this was a a pretty, it must have been a pretty wild uh, journey. They talk about at one point they're not certain if they're passing Confederate sharpshooters or not. Um, But yeah, pretty, in addition to the navigation, lots of
1: other hazards you know, you, if you actually stop and read the historical markers, if you'll take the five minutes it takes to pull over and read a historical marker every once in a while, you'd learn so much more about your neck of the woods. And and when new ones go up, it's always fascinating. I've talked to Jason, the producer that you spoke to over here a minute ago, about how I used to get such a, a feeling of just the, the hairs on the back of my neck would raise. And I'd get just this really heebie-jeebie feeling when I was around Old Foot Mill. Uh, and the and the the various yeah. bridges that cross it, and one day there's a historical marker that goes up, mm-hmm. and I look, and they had a picture engraved into that silver metal of bodies hanging like bananas from the trees mm-hmm. where they were grabbing people that were disrupting the cracker line or running the cracker line, and it was a popular hanging place. There were like 14 bodies hanging, and no wonder I got the heebie-jeebies. Yeah. And down oh, God. and God. down at Suck Creek there, where the 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 real Definitive cracker line, which runs around the base of Lookout Mountain, you know there was a point where the rebels stopped a train and the Union soldiers got off, and it said all twenty-one of the men were obliged to stand until they were shot down. I mean, it's where blood soaked this area is. I mean, so it's you can't swing a cat without hitting history. So how
0: will you know? How will you confirm that this that you found the USS Chattanooga?
1: Oh, the the Chattanooga.
2: Yeah, that's that's a difficult thing to do in in reality, and and that's actually what we set out to do. As I mentioned, there was a lot of local lore about this this ship being there, but the question is how do you demonstrate that uh, conclusively, right? So that's what we're trying to do. Um, And essentially, one of the only ways you can actually do that is by diving on the ship and finding... um, you know, some kind of artifact that conclusively tells you that this is the Chattanooga. Um, But a good first step is kind of what we were talking about earlier, where, you know, we scanned up and down a a large portion of that area by Ross Landing and a a good chunk of the Tennessee River um, kind of there downtown. If we continue to scan that area and that uh, image that we found is the only thing that really matches up and in terms of its dimensions and ship construction, um, then that's a pretty compelling case that what we're looking at is the Chattanooga. And
1: you well, certainly know. I'm sorry, June. No, I
0: was just going to say, what is, what was the footprint? what how large was that find?
2: Um, it's pretty large. It's about um thirty to forty feet wide and 120, mm. 140 long or so. Um, and obviously that is a you know it's it's a wreck. Debris field, so it's a little bit larger than the um, the ship itself would have been. But um, yeah, there's there's bits and pieces scattered all around there. Typical of what, and as people know, this is a this is a very historic area. so there's there's more than just the Chattanooga. There, there are actually what what appear to be a series of historic barges and uh, potentially another a a smaller vessel, um, unidentified vessel there. The size
1: of essentially what they call flatboat back in the mm, day. All
0: right, how excited were your kids?
2: Oh, they were
1: thrilled, um, yeah, because it, uh, it, it was a, it was
2: already a great day, you know, to kind of be out on out on a boat, um, you know, being able to get outside and, and have that be part of class, um, mm-hmm. that was exciting enough, and then it was equally exciting to be able to use this kind of cutting-edge sonar instrument, which was graciously donated to us by a company, Echo 81, down in, in Hartwell, Georgia, for educational purposes, um, so that was already exciting enough, and then when you throw in um, you know, kind of the uncertainty of what we were going to see and find. Um, and then the first time they kind of saw the, the ship tempers scrolling by on, on the screen. Sure. Yeah, they were just, they were
1: over. That's very cool. About, well, that's that's a, a golden medal yeah, moment how right exciting. there. exciting. Well, let me follow up. we got two, yeah. We got two minutes left, and so let me follow up with that. I, when I, I, I noted last week or the week before that Robert Ballard did give up the search for Amelia um, Amelia Earhart's plane. That's one of the few defeats he's ever actually had when he went after something. What's out there? What is the what is the golden ring for you? What's the what would be the the absolute epitome of something that you could possibly find in freshwater in this area that that you think is still out there that could be found?
2: Hmm, that's an interesting question. I a catfish
1: guess, the size I'm, of a Volkswagen. In, um,
2: in pre-contact archaeology, I'd be really curious to find um, one of these. Ice Age sites that we were kind of talking about earlier, yes. and I think that you know, obviously, the Tennessee rivers changed quite a bit, and springs and um, streams around here have changed quite a bit since then. And I think that some of these sites may actually be preserved underwater.
1: I can um, guarantee you that
2: would be my that would be my gold goose.
1: When you're when you're back in town, reach out to me. I'm not hard to find. You can yeah, talk directly you can, to you can reach me. And uh, you know, I'm not going to okay. give my phone number out over the air. I'm not that dumb. There are people who really don't like me. But, I mean, <laughs> you, you can hang out with me one day. I mean, there, there are berms. There are clearly berms that are set up on the Lookout Creek when it is running by Tiftonia and Cummings Highway on its way to the Tennessee River that were set up by humans. And I'm, I'm convinced that there were probably settlements around them that were probably headed up by Dragon Canoe and his people. And I can't imagine uh-huh. what else it would be. I'd love to take you out there and get your fine, your, your take on it sometime.
2: That sounds exciting.
1: We'll do. I mean, look mean, that. I mean, it take jumping in a kayak in about five minutes. Uh, so All l- right. We'll 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 set that up. I got up. a John
2: boat, so we can make it, too. There, you, there go, you go, Morgan <laughs> <There> Smith. You <laughs> thank, you, thank you so much. I appreciate <laughs> you talking
1: to us today. Good luck on everything you're doing this summer. Hey, great talking to y'all. Thanks again for having there me. There you have it. Yeah. I pointed one of those out to Russell. If you're going downstream, you will not see it at all. It's an air, it's an opening about this big, not even the, the width of this thing right here, and it goes into a circular lake mm-hmm. with a mound in the middle of it, and the water is equal depth wow. all the way around it. You can't tell me that was not a mound that was built on a ceremonial yeah. basis. You'll have to take me there now yeah. that I've got a kayak. Yeah, absolutely. It's easy. It's, it's uh, a very short paddle. We need to plan it. Yep. in Jeff Styles, America. It was the third of June,
2: another sleepy, dusty, delta day.
1: Before I go to my next guest on the phone, hell must be given. <laughs> it was the third of June, another sleepy, dusty, <laughs> delta, delta, delta day. Delta oh, to delta Billy Joe, Bobby Gentry. It's Just another unimportant day. And... Last year, we missed it. And on the 4th of June, I came in and I raised hell these guys going, I need y'all to be able to keep up with stuff like this for me. And we would, that's, there was only one day you have to play that song, the 3rd of June. So next year, y'all remind me. And, we after both put we, it on after our calendar. we got off the air yesterday, I did, oh, we did it again. <laughs> we did it again, and I and I, I sent it out to them, and, and they just now said, yeah, it popped up on my phone that it was owed to Billy Joe, and I didn't know what it was about. So we missed it again. So we're a day late. We're a day late on the anniversary of tossing something off the Tallahatchie Bridge or jumping off the Tallahatchie Bridge.
3: But do it the day after, so that way we're not doing it
0: the same day everybody else is.
1: Yeah, there you go. It's a little different. So there's that. And. And she says she doesn't like this song. How can you not like this song? It's uh, It's a murder mystery, and she's beautiful. Look how much she's feeling that song.
0: Look how heavy her eye makeup is. It was 1967.
1: She can hardly open them. That's what Elizabeth, all the women looked like Cleopatra back then. Mm -hmm. Uh. All right, uh, on the phone line with me, uh, us, I should say, Randy Horton, my buddy with Wild Trails. and Randy, good to hear your voice and talk to you. What's up?
3: Hey, Jeff. Yeah, doing good. How about yourself?
1: I'm glad to be here, glad to be alive. Are you out on the trail today?
3: Um, I just uh, just got off the wa- water. We Every Tuesday, Thursday, we do a, a sunrise paddle uh, from South Pitt Creek up and back. And now I'm heading to Audubon Acres. They still have tornado damage up there, so we've got several guys with chainsaws to fix Good. that problem. So, yeah.
1: Randy is the guy. When I, ref- the when I refer to the to the chainsaw orgy we had at my house, Randy was in charge <laughs> and, and brought a bunch of people with him after we had that tornado, and all these people needed to get some time actually so they could actually be qualified to do tra- uh, trail cutting, mm-hmm. clear cutting, you know, clearing out the trails. Because you can't do that. You can't just walk into a national forest with a chainsaw and start cutting stuff to suit you. They they frown on that. So you got to get qualified, so thank you. Thank you for doing that. That's a good mission. that's a good mission for you. Ministry, I should say. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Randy, i I'm, I hate to, 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 to bring you on to, to talk about a tragedy, but I think it's it's a it's a learning point. It's a kind of a, a teachable moment. And we saw with horror uh, a couple of weeks ago, week and a half or so ago, that Ultra Marathon in China, and if you saw the video at the beginning, Everybody's dressed like they're going to go for, you know, the 4th of July, you know, fun 5K run in downtown Chattanooga with T-shirts and gym shorts on and went into the teeth of a horrible late winter storm and 23 people died. These are extreme athletes, you know, who are used to extreme conditions and died in China from this storm. And I just thought, first of all, have you ever even heard of anything like that happening And then just kind of just touch on situational awareness that people have to have, you know, if they're going to go do things like trail run.
3: Well, I mean, uh, first of all, it, it really is the runner's responsibility. Um, if it's a race in the United States, they have to sign a waiver. And the first thing that says is I'm aware of all the dangers, including, you know, hypothermia and whatever. So it is the ultimate runner's responsibility. However. As, as you probably know, but a lot of people might not know, uh, the, the onset of hypothermia is, is kind of an interesting thing because you really sort of lose your mind yeah. um, and, you, and you make some really bad decisions. So it's not it's not a hundred percent the runner's responsibility. And in this incident in China, I mean, the, they were going through aid stations like they would roughly every you know six to ten miles. And the volunteers at the aid stations were just letting these people go. Yeah. And they're, they're slurred, slurred speech. They're, they're dizzy, they're, they're tripping on themselves. Obvious signs of hypothermia. And so as a race director and, you know, in a situation like that for an ultramarathon, uh, they, they should have a medical director. I mean, you just don't do that. I mean, we, every year we put on Lookout Mountain 50 Miles. And every year there's people that, I mean, that's not every year, it's probably every other or every third year we get some, some bad weather. Sure. And, and we, I mean, our staff is, is really well fooled. in watch these guys, look at their eyes, make sure you're paying attention. Do not let them leave the aid station. If they don't know their name, at least.
1: I, that's what I said. If, if literally, if they are confused, and casting about, and are, are are stumbling, I can't imagine how any race official would let them continue from that point forward. I mean, no matter what the weather is, something's up, and clearly, if, if the if the wind chill was, was coming in strong, and they were cold themselves at these stations, they had to understand that that was happening, The sweat was freezing on their bodies.
3: The, the interesting thing in an ultra-marathon, if you keep moving, you don't feel the cold but your body's still working really hard to keep you warm so the onset of hypothermia while you're running is not the same as if you're you know you're stuck in a snowstorm you know hiding under the tree or something so it's a little bit different than it would be for for kind of a normal person that would try to get out of the storm and just stay quiet but um it is it is an interesting thing that they would, they would just let these runners go through the aid station.
1: Do you remember? Uh, so it, you, you may or may not remember this, I mean, because this is something you do so many, but your first 100 miler that you guys did up at the Okoe, you started at the, at the visitor center, and I had the honor of starting the, 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 the race. And it was about 20 minutes before the race started, and it was a, a beautiful day, and we had a massive windstorm that came through that was accompanied with a bunch of hail. Hail fell yep. sideways, I mean, it came in hard, and it gave the ground a good soaking with all that hail in the ground. It looked like we just had a snowfall, and, I mean, the temperature dropped 25 degrees. And, I mean, this is our neck of the woods where things like that rarely happen. You're not going to have to be as, you know, thinking about it, the upper top-of-the-mind awareness, but if you're running at a place like Mount Katahdin at the other end of the Appalachian Trail, Mount Washington, where weather can turn in a couple of minutes and become deadly it's yeah you've got to really keep in mind where you are
3: yeah for sure it, it is uh it, it is it, it, you know looking back at the thunder rock 100 that you're talking about that that storm was a very unique thing and then the the forest rangers there like hey we need to shut this race down after it's already started yeah and i'm like I would like some uh, suggestions on how we would do that because, I mean, they're off in—they're
1: out there in the Big Frog Wilderness now. <laughs> they're off in Slick Rock blankets. somewhere. Um, And if
3: we do shut them down, then what are you going to do? We have to have like loads of blankets, and we got to keep these people warm. So the best thing in that situation would be to keep them going and get them to the next aid station where we can warm them up.
1: What is the what is a race that you would think in America? that you would actually have the potential for something like this happening. You know, I always hear people talking about Leadville. Leadville is such a, a tremendous amount of, of elevation that you climb and lose and climb and lose. Apparently, it's grueling. And, of course, my all my, my biological sons live out in the Rockies now, and they talk about, you know, you will get snow in June. It's going to happen. You'll get snow in August. And, I mean, is, is there one in particular that you think, yeah, weather is something that will be an issue virtually every time, or, or it could be?
3: Uh, definitely, Leadville's probably top of the list. I ran it twice. My dad attempted it, I think, four or five times and never finished. But I remember one year I was waiting to pace them because he, you know, you can get a pacer at at, at 50 miles, and it's an out-and-back course. And they go up from 40 to 50, go up over Hope Pass, which is like oh, uh, something like, Eleven and a half, twelve thousand feet. That's high. And it started, and this is the this is the third week in August, and it starts snowing. Um, and it, and when people, I mean, coming down, they got like snow all over them, and you know, just weren't prepared for it. And yeah, my dad had to be warmed up, and you know, thankfully he, you know, he was mindful enough to hey, I need I need to warm up and change clothes because it turned into a great day thereafter. But yeah, there were a lot of people that. That had to drop because they just weren't prepared, and then started back up the mountain, and they they pulled them at the top. There's an aid station, kind of up over the path that they have a solid medical team up there, just really watching people. So they did a good job of of pulling them, but
1: I can't imagine run yeah, running, running at that elevation.
3: Fifty is, you know, it's been a, a challenging race for a lot of years, and I can't, you know, I can't tell people that you can't start without having. Some, you know a decent amount of clothes on but so many people just don't get it they once i start i'm going to warm up and uh, it, it'll be fine but there's so many people that are have enough of hypothermia working that they either have to drop out or really stop at that first aid station for you know 15-20 minutes
1: Well, take a second here. We got about two minutes left, and I appreciate you joining me today on the Explore More Hour. And Jen and 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 Jason and here, you know, you came in early when we first started doing this, and then we shut down. Uh, It was a given day back in whenever it was yeah. March. And we just said, we, we can't do this anymore. Cause right. it was, it was the pandemic was becoming obvious. So we've really, this is what the third or fourth week that we've had this it back is, yeah, I think the
0: fourth in or full fifth, form. And
1: we appreciate all the folks have been working with us. Take a, a minute and just talk about the trail series and races that you have that might be coming up and how somebody would get started.
3: So, yeah, we've got, uh, we put on nine, uh, trail races and, and one, well one paddleboard race paddling race not just paddleboard this year but we'll bring the triathlon back next year um so that's two two water related events um the next one coming up is our stage race which is this is the 15th year and it's uh chattanooga mountain stage race it's roughly 20 miles a day for three days raccoon Mountain first day signal Mountain second day and lookout Mountain third day and um, we get people, I think we've got 32 states represented, and we don't get a lot of people really don't have um, enough parking to have more than about 150, um, so it usually sells out, but right now we've only got, I think we got 90-some registered, so there's plenty of room for that one, and, and then it's roughly um, about one a month for the rest of the year, so... And Everything how, from a 5K uh, up to a 50-mile in uh, in December.
1: And so how do people get in touch with you? Facebook?
3: Uh, yeah, we're on Facebook and Instagram, and then websites got all the information, um, uh, wildtrails.org. And we raise, we're a nonprofit, but we pretty much raise our own money by putting on these races. And then all the money we raise goes to trail building. We're doing a lot with the Cumberland Trail right now, but there's also other trails we're building. Uh, Black Creek is one of our new project which is gonna be really cool. Um and we work out we work with eleven organizations around town that have trails, including two schools. Um and we do uh, probably most of the maintenance on single track pedestrian trails. And Sorba we come you know, we help with Sorba we, we put on a four year program to to get a lot of people certified with the chainsaw. So Sorba usually takes care of most of the mountain biking trails and we we handle the rest so it's a really fun organization if you want to get involved
1: we got uh, a lot of work ahead of us for sure randy thank you so much for talking to us and thank you guys for all the work you do it certainly makes it easier for the rest of us who don't really feel like bending over and doing a bunch of trail work to still get out and be able to enjoy them um and uh, you and i'll hook up sometime in the near future i hope and uh, i'll send out a quick uh, uh, get well soon to Jenny Kelly as well, the first lady of Chattanooga now the mayor's wife, who is a trail runner and had to have some work done on her leg and is going to be laid up for a while. So I know she'll no, be no, missing no, being no. out there. Is she already out? Uh,
3: she's back. She can. She just got released to drive. But so uh-huh. she, she can drive a car now, and she is on the mend. So um, yeah, she, she'll be. She'll be back in no time.
1: I don't think you'll be able to keep it down long. Thank you, Randy. I appreciate it very much. Yeah. Good. That's good news. My pleasure. And that's it. That's it. That's it. We're done for this week. This day it's been the longest week ever hasn't it it was a short week we didn't uh, even work on monday you didn't wait until next week i've planned to have two mondays in a row well i'll quit for i talked to monday. the, I talk to the boss
0: back. brother mary becky thompson they a store and tea. Fred Podcast wouldn't be possible without the support of our sponsors Southern Segway, Chattanooga's first consumer Segway dealer. Find them at Southern Segway on Facebook and Instagram. Dr. Brett Moldenhauer, Institute for Acupuncture and Wellness, and North Spring Cryotherapy and Rejuvenation Center. Find them at northspring.com. For more, go to fredpodcast.com.